The kids can head to Children's Church. Everyone else can turn to Romans chapter 9, verse 30. Back to Romans, three verses today. We'll conclude Romans chapter 9, where we left off a while back. I'm not going to take the time to catch up all the way the whole book of Romans. Um, All the sermons have been recapped, a little summary typed up on the website. And uh, we might be able to recap a little bit at another date. But right now, I just want to launch into these three verses. Romans 9, verses 30 through 33. While you're finding it, um, I want you to consider what you're doing here. Uh, why you're here this morning, why you're involved with the church in general. Um, what are you pursuing? How are you pursuing it? What's this all about? Um, my suspicion is, based on the scripture, that at some level, we're all here looking for righteousness. We, we wouldn't use that word, probably, because um, we don't talk that way. But on some level, we're here because we're trying to get right get right with God, get right with ourselves, get right with other people, get our families right. Uh, The word righteousness that we're going to see in this passage means just approval, like approval in the judicial system, Um, being declared not guilty. It carries all kinds of ideas, has all kinds of implications um, for peace and wholeness, cleansing, that's sort of what we're all after. Unless you're just here, you know, it's just a tradition, it's just habit, and you're not really pursuing anything, which I know that happens often uh, in our culture. It's a churchy culture, as we've talked about before. Um, but really think in specific terms about yourself and why you're here and what you're pursuing as we read Romans nine thirty through 33. And before we read it, here's the big idea. What Paul is talking about here is basically two ways— to approach the pursuit of righteousness or wholeness or being made right. There's two primary ways to go about it. One of those ways works. One of those ways does not. One of the ways to pursue righteousness succeeds and one of the ways to pursue righteousness fails. And here's the tricky part. They both look identical. They look exactly the same. The two ways of pursuing righteousness look identical on the outside. So there could be two people, maybe even two of you, who have sat on the same pew for decades, singing the same songs, hearing the same sermons, doing the same church stuff, doing the same Sunday school, volunteering in the same capacities, serving on the same committees or boards, uh, raising your family in the same ways using the same Bible, the same Jesus fish on the back of your car. And yet, one of you, in the end, will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, and the other will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. And see, from where I stand, I don't know, because it looks the same. So I need you to be engaged in the scripture this morning and to let the Holy Spirit Search your heart. Reveal yourself to you. There is no more terrifying passage of Scripture for a pastor than that one where he says, Many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this for you? Didn't I do that for you? And he'll say, Depart from me. I never knew you. 
That's a really scary passage for someone in my position. So I need you to, to be with me this morning. Help me. Be engaged. Allow the Holy Spirit to do its work. And if you're able, stand with me as we read these three verses. Romans 9, verses 30 through 33. Paul writes, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that the Holy Spirit would break us and melt us and mold us and fill us as we read your word. Help us to receive it. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Lord, I just, I beg you, if there are people in here who are pursuing righteousness in the wrong way, please confront them. Confront us. If it's me, confront me. I cry out to you for this because we we need you for this. This is your church. We are your people. Please do this deep work in our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Brief little historical background on these three verses. Uh, Many of you probably remember this because we've talked so much about the Gentiles and the Jews as we've gone through Romans But the Gentiles were, to put it really basic, they were not God's people. The Jews were God's people. The Jews were the ones that God had pulled aside as early as Abraham and said, you will be my special people, I'll be your God. The Gentiles were just sort of everybody else. So if you're here this morning and you are not from a Jewish heritage, you're part of the Gentile crowd. Okay, not Israel. Jewish people are Israel. So Paul, we just got through Romans 9, which again, I'm not going to recap all that, but basically the question he's been wrestling with is, if the Jews were God's chosen people, why are so many of them not believing in Christ? If the Gentiles were not historically God's people, why are so many of them believing in Jesus? Paul's been wrestling with that, trying to figure it out. And basically his conclusion has been, Because that's how God had designed it from the start. And he is extremely sovereign over everything, especially people coming to Christ. So here we are, and he kind of concludes his thought saying, The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law, they had the Ten Commandments. They had, you know, the whole Torah. They had a lot of rules, a lot of um, traditions a rich heritage. They had all that, and they pursued all that, thinking it would lead to righteousness, and yet they did not succeed in reaching that law because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They've stumbled over the stumbling stone. Then he goes on to quote the Old Testament about Jesus. So for us this morning, I just have three things to consider in terms of this 
overarching theme of what are we doing here? How are we pursuing righteousness? There's three things I want you to think about for yourself. Not for the person sitting beside you. I want you to think, oh, he's talking about that person. For yourself and for myself. I want you to consider the object of your pursuit, the basis of your pursuit, and the result of your pursuit. Okay, I think this framework from this passage will help us think clearly here where maybe we've thought in a foggy, fuzzy way in the past. So, first, what is the object of your pursuit? I want to read these first two verses to you again. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. You know that pursuing the wrong object ruins everything in any endeavor, even small things. Pursuing the wrong object in an endeavor ruins the whole thing. So if you have any of you already gone on vacation this summer? Man, you are some hardworking people. Nobody has gone on vacation yet this summer? Don't be ashamed. It's okay. I've been on vacation. All right, three of us. You guys need to go to the beach. If you're going on vacation and you're, let's just put yourself in my shoes, the dad. If you stop pursuing a restful time with your family and start pursuing raw efficiency to get there in good time, it ruins everything. You get frustrated. You snap at your kids. I see wives like pointing at their husbands now. If you forget the object of the whole thing and you start pursuing raw efficiency, it ruins the whole thing. Uh, you see it in um, marriages or dating relationships. If you, if you start pursuing marriage and stop pursuing your spouse, it ruins everything. If you're trying to be really, really romantic and you're all wrapped up in trying to be romantic, but you're not pursuing your spouse, that romance falls flat on the floor. It ruins everything. You've got the wrong object, the wrong goal. Um, you can see it in parenting. How many of you, I'm trying to get your blood flowing. How many of you have read parenting books who have had kids? Okay. <laughs> Kevin Dodd raised his hand. In parenting, you can, you can get sidetracked pursuing parenting instead of pursuing your children. And in all of your righteous pursuit of parenting, you can ruin everything. So in any endeavor, if you pursue the wrong object, however subtly it might get off, it ruins everything. Now, that's especially the case with Christianity. See, the Jewish people pursued a law of righteousness. And it turned out that that was the wrong object. It didn't get them where they were trying to go. And that's what makes church so stinking dangerous. This, what we're doing here, is so dangerous. And it doesn't feel that way because, you know, it's fun and it's warm and, you know, it's cozy. But man, it's dangerous. Because it's easy to get shifted and forget the object of all this. And to devote our pursuit to some good thing that's not the ultimate thing. This is what happened to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were great at the religious pursuit of righteousness. But when Jesus was here on earth... 
he reserved his harshest language for them. Called them whitewashed tombs and hypocrites. So you don't become a Pharisee and ultimately an, an, an enemy of the cross by following hard after Satan directly. You become a Pharisee and ultimately an enemy of the cross by slightly and subtly shifting your focus to the wrong object. Shifting your focus from God to church. And then people get all in a frenzy to build their church instead of being the church. And shifting the focus from God through Jesus to the law, to the do's and the don'ts. Those aren't bad things. They're just, they're not God. What's the number one commandment? When Jesus summed them all up, what was the number one commandment? Love God. With all your heart, soul, mind, strength, everything. Love God. That's number one. How quickly we can forget. And even something as great as the number two commandment. What's the number two greatest commandment? Love people. That's a really good thing. But if our focus gets shifted to where love people becomes primary and we lose love God, it ruins everything. So I need you to think about what you're pursuing. What would success look like for what you're trying to do here? Why are you a part of Doolin's Grove? Would success look like becoming a really nice, well-adjusted person with a clean-cut, nice family with obedient children? I mean, that would be great, but is that what ultimate success looks like? Or does it have more to do with being caught up in involvement with this huge, glorious, dangerous, unpredictable God? Being swept up out of yourself into his purposes. Because they're two, they're very different things. Yeah, you, you might and probably will get this thing, this, you know, the niceness and the family. And, you know, that's good, that comes, but that's not ultimate. If you make it ultimate, you ruin everything, you miss everything, and one day you stand face to face with Jesus and you look at him and you say, man, I've heard so much about you, it's like I know you. But he says, depart from me because I didn't ever know you, I never knew you. I come back to this a lot, don't I? It's so important. What is the object of your pursuit? Next, I want you to consider the basis of your pursuit. I'm going to read verses 31 and 32. Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. So if pursuing the wrong object in any endeavor ruins everything, Pursuing the right object on the wrong basis ruins everything too. Pursuing the right object on the wrong basis ruins everything. I'll use a familiar story that Jesus told to illustrate this. The prodigal son story. You know, a, a man has two sons. He has one who's hardworking and 
obedient and stays close to home. And he has one who's rebellious and just wants to leave. The rebellious son comes to his father and says, I just want my inheritance now. Basically indicating, I'd be better off if you were just dead so I could have my money and I could go and enjoy my life instead of being here with you. So the the man gives him his inheritance, lets him go. Meanwhile, the other son stays behind and continues to work to be a faithful son, to, to work on the business, the property, the farm. So most of you know how the story goes. The prodigal son, he runs out of money. He's eating a you know, pig slop. And he says, maybe I can go back to dad and just maybe he'll hire me. And so he goes back home and he's walking down the driveway and he's probably working through his mind. What am I going to say so that he'll at least hire me, let me live, you know, maybe in the servant's quarters, maybe. And what does he see? He sees his dad running out to him overjoyed at his return. And men back then didn't run. They, ha- they would have to like gather up their robe and, you know, show their legs, which was, you know, was not a dignified thing back then. Running to his rebellious son, gathers him up in his arms, gives him his finest robe, which was probably his robe, demands to throw a, a party, a feast for him. He's returned, kill the fatted calf, which was, I can't even think of a modern day equivalent of that. Very luxurious, something you only did rarely on the most special occasion. But think about the older son. The older son sees all this and he says, you never killed the fatted calf for me. And I've been here. I've been working. I didn't go anywhere. I've been faithful. You didn't throw a party for me. See, the older son and the younger son needed the grace of the father just in different ways. See, the older son thought that all the while, while he was being faithful and doing his work, that he was earning the father's love. But he wasn't earning the father's love. You can't. He had the father's love already, just like the rebellious son did. He just hadn't been enjoying it. He hadn't been living it. He had been working like an employee, like the younger son wanted to come back and do. This would be like Elias and Lillian trying to earn being my kids. It would be like them coming up to me in the morning. Right now, as it is, I rarely get up before them anymore. I'm chronically tired for some reason. As it is now, they come and they jump immediately into bed and they snuggle with us, which is a great way to start your day. But it would be like Elias coming to my bedside and saying, Dad, I made my bed. I've been quiet. I haven't disobeyed you yet this morning. So based on this, you owe me some snuggles. But that's not how it is. They just, they're my kids. They're our kids. We, they don't have to earn it. They have it. The difference between Elias trying to earn sonship versus living sonship is huge. So my question for you is, With what you're doing here, if you're pursuing God, are you trying to earn sonship or are you trying to learn how to live sonship? If, let me put it this way, if someone asked you about your Christianity, would you respond by telling them the things you do 
or the things you believe. If someone asks you, you I've never heard of Christianity, this Jesus guy, what's it all about? Would you respond by telling him, well, it's about going to church, it's about reading your Bible, it's about praying, it's about uh, loving people, it's about being evangelistic? Or would you tell them, it's about this man, Jesus Christ, God with us, who came and did everything. And he saved me, who was a terrible sinner, still am. He's given me sonship. He's adopted me as a son. God is awesome. You need to go look into Jesus. Which approach would you likely respond with? Because this one might indicate that you're working like an employee instead of living like a son. Works say, you owe me. Works are the people that I talk to on their deathbeds, I'm trying to get a sense of if they're believers or not, or what can I do to encourage them toward Christ. And they say, I'm good. I've been good all my life. I've always gone to church. I've always supported with my money. Never beat my wife. Never cussed out my husband. That's not what it's about. It's are you with Jesus or aren't you? Works says you owe me. Faith says you gave it to me. So I want you to consider what object you're pursuing, on what basis are you pursuing it, and lastly, what's the result of your pursuit? And I'll read the last two verses. Um, it says, Because they, Israel, did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They've stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying a, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus is either for you a foundation stone or a stumbling stone. Uh, this is in your Bible is probably set apart like a quote, that last verse in Romans 9. It's a quote from the Old Testament. And if you go back and look at that quote, at least in the ESV, it talks about Jesus more as a foundation stone, not a stumbling stone. But I think that the discrepancy is because it can be, he can be one or the other. It can either be for you a foundational stone or a stumbling stone. And I need you to consider what is he for you. God intended Jesus to be the foundation for your life. If you were going to build a house and you worked really hard to pour a really great foundation, where would you build the rest of your house? On top of the foundation. I'm not a master uh, builder by any means, but I can figure that out. You wouldn't work really hard to establish a really strong foundation and then move over 10 yards and build your house beside it. That would be really dumb. Then you'd have this foundation over here and you would just stumble over it. The question you need to consider on this point. Really think about your Christianity, your brand of Christianity, what, what this is all about for you. Is Jesus necessary for your Christianity? See, I have found in conversation that a lot of people, their Christianity is church and it's 
nice things, and it's doing good stuff, not doing bad stuff. If you do more good stuff than bad stuff, you're in. Well, that's all well and good, but why, if that, why did Jesus have to come and be brutally massacred then, if that's all there is to it? See, in that worldview, Jesus makes no sense. It's just he's like a, like a foundation that is just sitting there that you just stumble over. It makes no sense. Is that what Jesus is to you, or is he the very foundation of everything for you? He's meant to be the very foundation of everything to you. So the result of these two different pursuits, remember I said you could have two people, same pew, decades, doing the same stuff, one of them getting it right, one of them getting it wrong, basically. Here's sort of the results of these two different ways. Maybe this will help us evaluate Okay, the wrong way results in stumbling and shame. That word shame can also mean disappointment. It results in a life of stumbling and disappointment and shame. Now, the right way to pursue God through Jesus Christ based on faith produces the opposite. It produces traction. It produces forward movement, growth. And the opposite of shame and disappointment, it, it's freedom and fulfillment. So the one way, you, it leads to just a tiny little frustrating life. Where you're just frustrated all the time, you're not making any progress, the same old sins, the same old troubles. The right way, you look back five years ago and you're like, man, I'm a totally different person than I was then. God has brought me so far. God has done so much in my life. It leads to a big life, an open life, where you can be open-handed about yourself and not, not always wrestling for yourself and your own selfish things. I want you to consider what you're pursuing, the basis by which you're pursuing it, and what results you're seeing. I need, I need you to consider these things. Now, one concluding note here. We're talking about pursuing God. Did you notice that neither the Gentiles or the Jews are said to have pursued God in this passage? It said that the Gentiles did not pursue righteousness, yet they attained it by faith. The Jews did pursue righteousness, not God so much, but righteousness, and they failed to attain it. But it didn't say that either of them was actually pursuing God. So that's a really important point to note. Because the fact is, as we've seen in Romans, none of us pursues God on our own. See, the fact is, God is the one who pursued us through Jesus Christ. See, this is why there's good news at the end of all this. See, bad news would be me saying, you've got to change, period. But the good news is, God has pursued us through Jesus Christ. Like the father running down the driveway to the prodigal son. We just have to let him embrace us. Just let him. Just let him have you. My prayer is that no one who's a part of Dylan's Grove would hear those horrifying words, depart from me, I never knew you. My prayer is that we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
and that our lives between here and there would be big, full, fulfilled, abundant lives of pursuing God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you most of all for Jesus. Lord, may your Holy Spirit guide all of our consideration of these things this morning. God, I love the people associated with this church. And I know that you love them infinitely more than I'm capable of. Lord, please gather us near to you through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.